0: I want to talk to you tonight about a place where you are going, and I speak with some confidence that you are going. And you might ask, how could you be so sure? He doesn't know what my plans are. How can he be confident to speak with certainty that I'm going? Well, I want to talk about your funeral, and I want to deal with some questions that come up concerning funerals. You're going to your funeral now. I suppose we could. Uh, perhaps quibble a little, you know, if the Lord comes before we die, we won't have a funeral. Or it might be some peculiar circumstance that would be so that you didn't have a funeral. But in uh, in normal situations, we're going to say, you're going to have a funeral. You're going to go to your own funeral. You'll be there, but you won't be participating. We want to talk about some questions relative to funerals. We really intend this to sort of be... a FYI kind of a sermon, for your information kind of a thing. But we want to end with a challenge for each of us to specifically think about our own funerals and what our funeral might be like. Before we get into those questions, those funeral questions that we want to address, stop here just to say thank you for being present. We have a number of visitors tonight. We're so glad that you are here. And we appreciate the presence of each and every one. As always, we express our openness to your questions if there's anything that we can help you with relative to bible study uh, you just say a word and we'll try to make ourselves available but thank you all for being here tonight what are some of the kind of questions that come up about funerals i think maybe a very simple starting place is do you even have to have a funeral you know somebody might ask that do i have to have you know couldn't they just stick me in the ground uh and no one say anything well i suppose the answer to that's yes Now, funerals go way back. In fact, as far back as Abraham, we know that the Hebrews generally buried their dead. In fact, one of the very first references to a burial is that of Abraham burying Sarah in the cave of Machpelah. Read this in Genesis 23, verse 19. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. Now, someone could say, well, that's not really a funeral, per se. It just says that he buried her, and it could indicate nothing more than he simply placed her there in that cave, uh, just deposited her body there. And that's possible, I think. You couldn't say more than that from that verse. But when Abraham himself died, I think you begin to get the idea that they did a little more than that. And maybe there was an observance, or, or they spent some time in the sense of a funeral, like we might imagine. In Genesis 25, verse 8, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, which is before Mamre. Now, it's interesting that Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury their father. We know, and we have studied not that long ago, in fact, in one of our Bible classes, that there had been some family alienation in regards to Ishmael, but he came, and they participated together in the burying of fathers. And I think, I, I wouldn't argue with you too strongly if you disagree, but it seems to me that the, the implication there is something of more of, a, of a, an actual observance, something along the lines of what we might refer to as a funeral. The same could be said in Genesis 35, verse 29. Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered into his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Well, we know that there had been a lot of trouble between Jacob and Esau, and they came together to bury their father. Now, if this was nothing more than just placing him in a cave or a tomb or in the, in the grave, why would they come together to accomplish that? I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm suggesting that all of that implies something along the lines of what we would consider as a funeral. So we see this goes way back, you know, the the, the idea of of some kind of a ceremony or observance when someone passes is certainly well established in biblical history. When Jacob died, I think we really see that. Notice in Genesis 50, beginning verse 7, Joseph went up to bury his father. Remember, they had been in Egypt and Joseph was a powerful man in Egypt. Jacob had come down to Egypt to be there and he died there. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and he left there and went, he left Egypt and took his father back to the land of Canaan to bury him. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house. And they came to the, the threshing floor of Etad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a very great and very, with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father for seven days. Notice that last part of that passage. There was a great lamentation, sore lamentation, mourning for seven days. In other words, this looks like the, that looks like a funeral. I'm saying that looks like a funeral to me. And it went on for seven days, an observance for Jacob at the time of his death. And Joseph led that uh, process. Then go to Acts chapter 7. Now, we were just studying about this this morning in our Bible class. Acts chapter 7 concerning Stephen. At verse 59, they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. We remember that. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, notice this, it says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Again, I would argue that that sounds pretty much like a funeral. And so, to the first question, do you even have to have a funeral? I believe our answer from the Bible would be, that kind of an observance is historically uh, of long-standing. In other words, people have been doing that. They've been doing that for a very long time. But having said that, there's no specification in the Bible that would tell you what you have to do. We just just read what has been traditionally done, but I hope you observed in all those passages that we referenced, there's no instruction that had to be done that way. Uh, And so... Do you even have to have a funeral? I would argue no. I couldn't think of any, there's precedent for it, but I couldn't think of any Bible principle that would, uh, command or instruct that you have to have a funeral. Certainly, and we're going to talk about this more as we go along here in a minute, but nothing that is said or done at a funeral is going to have any eternal effect on the person who's being buried. In other words, if I don't have a decent burial, you know, sometimes we talk about, alright, give him a decent burial. If I don't have a decent burial, that mean I can't go to heaven? Would it affect my eternal well-being if I didn't have a funeral? No, I don't think so. I don't see how that possibly could, right? And so, in answer to the first question, do you even have to have a funeral? I'd say no, but certainly there's precedent for doing so. Let's go a little bit further along that line. If you have one, then, what should be said or done at a funeral? Well, certainly at a funeral, we remember the dead. In the passage that Ricky read for us earlier from Acts chapter 9 concerning Dorcas, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is by interpretation called Dorcas. This one was full of good works and alms deeds which she did, and it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. When Peter was come, they brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Clearly what they were doing there was they were remembering this woman. She was a worthy person. She was a great disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when she died, people were mourning for her, and they were remembering her. Even, no, she had done lots of alms deeds. In other words, she had helped the poor tremendously. She'd made coats and garments for people, and she was well remembered for that. And so, remembering the deceased is certainly an appropriate thing, as we see them doing here. Even, I would go so far as to say, learning from the example. Of the one who has departed. If it's a worthy person like Dorcas was, there's great lessons to be learned, you know. And at the time of a funeral, it's very appropriate for us to think about them. And you know, uh, uh, Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, "It's better to go to the house of mourning." You know, you you learn something from that. And so uh, that is definitely the case. Now, remember that what we say at a funeral is not for the dead person. Nothing that we can say or do after a person is dead will ever have any effect in any way on where they end up in eternity. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Notice, our judgment is going to be based upon the things done in our body while we're alive. After you're dead, then it's over, right? The The, the case is closed, and... And your eternal destiny is determined and sealed based upon what you did while you were alive. And so nothing that any of us might do, in other words, a, a, a loved one departs, dies, we have a funeral. We remember them, maybe. We talk about their life, some lessons that we could draw from their life. Um, but nothing we say can change anything for that person. Now, we might be changed by that and hope we can be. You know, Maybe we're caused to think about our own mortality, caused to think about the realities of life and death and our own funeral. But nothing that we say is going to change anything for them. I, right here, I, I would stop for just a minute to maybe get on a little bit of a soapbox. I know Arthur will agree with me about this because we've talked about this before. Seems so often when you go to funerals, and, and even funerals conducted by our own brethren, you get people—you get what I call people preaching them to heaven. You know, speaking with certainty. I know he's in a better place. I know she's in a better place. She's gone to be with the Lord. You know, in the sense that she's. This, this person who just died is certainly going to receive a reward. How do you know that? How could anybody say that with certainty? Uh, you couldn't. I mean, you might, you might think so, and you might hope so, and you might have a strong inclination in your mind that this is a good person and the Lord's going to reward this person. But you don't know everything about their life. You're not the judge. You couldn't say for sure. And I just think it's an enormous mistake when preachers at funerals preach them into heaven, you know? Uh, I remember years ago when as a young man I was called upon to preach my first sermon an older preacher told me something that gave me some advice because I was pretty nervous about it he gave me some advice that I thought was very good he said it is not your job to preach into heaven or hell that's already determined and God will take care of that you don't have to you don't have to deal with their eternal destiny in one way or another it's not your job and I think that's I think that was really good advice that I've tried to follow through the years when preaching funerals. And I, I'm, I'm disturbed. I'm honestly disturbed when I hear some of our own brethren uh, preaching funerals, which I think they try to preach them into heaven. I just don't think that you can do that. And so what we should do at a funeral is remember the dead person and hopefully think about our own mortality. I believe that's what we should do. Well, should I go? You know, this person died. Should I go to... So and so's funeral. Should I go to his funeral? A one-word answer: Yes, you should go. Yes, go. Absolutely go. You know, uh, it seems more and more so in recent years that people don't go to funerals. Uh, it, it wasn't that it wasn't that way just a few years ago, but I, I've noticed that an a significant decline in attendance at funerals, even in recent years. Go. By all means, go to the funeral and show and express your concern. It it is a way that we can show love and respect and concern, especially for the family and those who've lost a loved one. By all means, go. You know, sometimes it's not convenient. Uh, And almost in every case, you're going to have to go out of your way in order to take the time, get dressed up, and go to the funeral. Go. By all means, go. The answer is yes, you should go. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 be kindly affection, one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. That's one of the ways we show our love for one another. And so I would say definitely, yes, go to the funeral. And I would I would just here, you know, really prod you and exhort you that in the future when we have the unfortunate occurrence of a funeral, be there, go, show your concern. You know, you could apply the principle of the golden rule there in Matthew 7:12. Jesus said, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. At your funeral or at a loved one's funeral of yours, would you like people to come and show their concern? Would you like them to come and show their love and respect for you by their presence at the funeral or the viewing? And I think the answer is, well, yeah, I I hope people would care, right? I hope people would care. And and that would be a big encouragement to me if, if they would show that love and concern. Well... If that's what you would like, then don't you think they would like that too? That's a very simple way of arguing it. But the answer to the question, should you go to a funeral when one is conducted, I think is absolutely yes. The next question is sort of a controversial one. I I guess you're recognizing that these are not necessarily related to one another. But the next question is sort of controversial. Can a funeral be held in a church building? You know, that was a big issue some years ago. It's almost completely gone away. I, I it, It's hard to remember the last time that I attended a funeral that was held in a church building. I think I can remember the last one, but it was years ago. Uh, there's probably several reasons for it, not the least of which is the funeral home business. Uh, you know, They make more money by having the ceremony in their chapel, as they call it. They can charge you more, and it's less trouble for them to do it there, and they make more money doing it there. And so the funeral home directors have sort of channeled everybody in that direction and so it's usually not even considered anymore to have a funeral in a church building years ago it was and there were some who objected to it taking place that way um, there there was when this was an issue there was a, an attempt to link weddings and funerals in the church building and you would hear people talk about can you have weddings and funerals in the church building with the, and the impression left by the question was that those two things stand or fall together. If you can, you know, if you can have a funeral, you can have a wedding, or if you can have a wedding, you can have a funeral. I don't think they go together. I really don't think that those belong on the same page. I think you could have one, but not have the other. In fact, I think, I, I really think that I could probably describe a sort of a situation where someone could be married in a church building. But it'd be a, it'd be a peculiar ceremony, not at all like what people are used to when they go to weddings. And most young people who are wanting to get married would not agree with the stipulations that would be placed upon them to use the church building. And so, i got to say, I think it's pretty hard to imagine a situation where a wedding should take place in church. Well, weddings are primarily social events, right? Now, there's a religious component to it, you know. We, we read some Bible verses and we, and we pray, but it's primarily a social gathering to observe the marriage of a, of a couple. And so... Uh, again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one who would issue a blanket no to the question, of could you have a wedding in the church? I've got to say, the, the restrictions and the stipulation was to be so stringent that I can't quite imagine any young couple wanting to agree to those conditions in order to have the ceremony in the church. But when it comes to a funeral, I see that on a, in a completely different way. What do you do at a funeral? What do you do at a funeral? Well, at a funeral, you have a a lesson that's based upon Bible teaching, and you have prayers. Um, Very often these days, what we do is we have congregational singing. So if we did it that way, if we had congregational singing and a Bible lesson and prayers, how would what you did at a funeral be any different than what we're doing right here tonight? It'd be the same, wouldn't it? The fact that there's a dead body present wouldn't change anything, would it? If they wheeled the casket in here and set it up front, and we had a service in which we studied from the Bible, and we prayed together, and we sang songs together, what would be different? I just don't see, I don't see the objection to that. Someone says, well, you're honoring the man. Instead of honoring God, you're honoring the, I I really don't think that that's the case necessarily. We are certainly going to reference the person who's died. But in a lot of the passages that we read already, when they, when they buried people, they remembered them, right? There's nothing wrong with remembering a person, drawing a lesson from the life that they have lived. If they've lived a good and worthy life and we can draw some lessons from that, that's not that's not unscriptural. In fact, we even do that. A lot of times, in, uh, if you'll stop and recall, when we're preaching sermons, how often do we say, can you remember someone who had a great influence on you in your life? What was their name? Do you remember that person? We even ask one another to remember people and their positive example on us. So I... Uh, for me, the question of having a funeral in a church building is, uh, I, I don't object and don't see much reason to object if it's done properly. Now, obviously, there would also be stipulations there. Sometimes people in funerals want to play secular music. And we wouldn't want to do that. I want to play instrumental music. We wouldn't want to do that here. And so there would be some conditions and stipulations. But in, a, in a, a, a funeral in which there's Bible teaching, prayers, and congregational singing, I just don't see how you could object. But... Having said all of that, that's pretty much a moot point anymore, right? Because people are just not having funerals in church buildings anymore. And again, I lay that at the feet of the funeral directors, and it's probably a money issue with them. They can make more by having the funeral at the funeral home. Another question. I was asked recently to comment about cremation. What about cremation? What does the Bible say about uh, cremation? What does the Bible say about cremation? You know what the answer to that is? not much. It doesn't say much. And we, we can't say a whole lot about cremation. We, you know, uh, one of the things we know is that the, the Jews did not typically burn the bodies of their dead. Uh, here's, here's a quote from the Roman historian Tacitus. He said, the Jews are wont to bury rather than to burn their dead. And so it was more common among the Jews to bury their dead. And and. The historian Tacitus linked that to the influence of the Egyptians upon the Jews. You know, the Egyptians were famous for being the first people to actually embalm bodies and bury them, right? And you've all seen, if you've not seen in person, you've seen pictures at least of the Egyptian mummies, you know, that are preserved even to this day. They did such an effective job of embalming. And this historian Tacitus, an ancient Roman historian, suggested that that may have been why the the Jews picked up that procedure of not burning their bodies. Others did burn their bodies. The Romans and the Greeks were known, to, at least at times, to burn their dead. There were exceptions, though, even among the Jews. You remember when King Saul and his sons were killed in battle? In 1 Samuel 31, beginning verse 8, it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent it to the land of the Philistines round about to publish it. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days." So here's an exception. Clearly, they burned the bodies of Saul and his sons. Almost certainly, we think that what they were doing here was to prevent further defilement of their bodies by the Philistines. But here's a case where they did burn them. The law of Moses actually uh, prescribed burning in certain cases of immorality. Look at Leviticus 20, verse 14. If a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. So here's a case of a specific kind of immorality under the law of Moses. And it was to be dealt with by burning. In the next chapter, 21, verse 9, Leviticus 21, 9. And the the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall be burnt with fire. And so here, it seems that that the burning of a body was to disgrace the offender and to serve as a warning to others, right? Now, uh, keep that in mind. We'll we'll try to draw a conclusion here in a minute. There's a familiar case in Joshua. Remember when the children of Israel had come into the Promised Land, they defeated Jericho, and then they went to Ai and suffered a defeat came to find out the reason they were defeated at Ai was because the previous battle at Jericho, someone had taken spoil from the city and that had been forbidden. They'd been told, don't take any spoil from the city. Someone did. And so God they, they lost God's favor in the next battle that they should have won easily. They lost and they wanted to know why and they found out. And so Joshua said, it shall be, Joshua 7, verse 15 that he that is taken with the accursed thing... Now, when we find out who did this, he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, and he and all all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Well, verse 25 says that they found Achan. And and Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned him with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Uh, And so here, again, is a case... Where the burning of bodies was associated with a transgression, or someone who'd done something wrong. Now, all of those are Old Testament passages for sure, but I want to suggest to you in regards to cremation that many people, for many people, the burning of bodies is a sign of condemnation that's hard for them to disassociate from. All those are Old Testament passages for sure. Uh, but some people, they just think that that the burning of bodies is a disrespect to the bodies, and they might even link it to some of those passages that we just read from the Old Testament. And so for those people, they insist upon burial, not burning. Now, what are you going to do? I, I, I would say I can't find a Bible uh, concept that condemns, for the modern day, cons- condemns cremation. But I would argue that it's a matter of conscience, and you should honor your conscience in that, uh, Romans 14:23 teaches us not to violate our conscience. If you have a conscience in regard to cremation, don't do it. Uh, I don't. The, the New Testament, to my knowledge, in the New Testament, we have no instruction whatsoever in regards to cremation, and so we could just leave it at that. You're going to have to decide and follow your conscience in the matter. I don't think anybody could condemn you for doing it. I don't think the, I don't think you could use the Bible and say you have done wrong if you pursued cremation of the body. Okay, some some funeral questions. Do you even have to have a funeral? No, you really don't even have to have one. If you do, what should you do? Remember the dead? Contemplate your own mortality? Should you go when someone dies? Yes, go. Yes, absolutely. Can a funeral be held in a church building? I think yes, if done properly, but that's really not a big issue anymore. And some thoughts about cremation. Now, one last question that I think is the most important one at all is how will I be remembered at my funeral? I said at the outset, you're going and you're going to your own funeral. When you're at your own funeral, you won't participate. You'll just be there, a dead body on the premises. But what will they say at your funeral? And how will they remember you when a funeral is held for you? A good while back, I wrote a little article in the bulletin, and I dug it out, and my suggestion was you actually are writing your own funeral. You could, you know, we, we could almost provide a form letter to be filled out for a funeral. And you are writing the answers to these questions right now by what you are doing. So here here's the fill in the blank. Here's the fill in the blank funeral. You might think about this. Because effectively this is what's going to happen. I don't think anybody would probably be quite so brash or bold to use this approach, but you could. For instance, concerning the person who's dead, the deceased was or was not a Christian, and therefore we have or don't have a reasonable hope for him. at at your funeral that's going to be determined right did you die in hope as a christian do you have hope do we have hope you're dead we're thinking about you do we have any hope can we can we lay you to rest with the hope that things are well with your soul well you're determining that right now concerning the dead man his family knew or never knew him to be a man of prayer and sincere devotion to god it's one way or the other isn't it he was a person who regularly attended or ignored the worship services and could or could not be counted upon to serve to the best of his ability for the Lord. Can you be counted on? Are you faithful? He was concerned or unconcerned with the lost, the poor, the afflicted, and the homeless. What about you? He loved, did not love, his fellow man, and it was evident in the way he treated him. You know, it is evident, isn't it? If you're a loving person and you show that love and concern for others, people know about that, and they'll think about that at your funeral, But if you were a selfish, self-centered individual, they're going to remember that about you too. What would they say at your funeral? He was a true friend. No, he was a two-faced individual to those who trust him. Which way is it? A true friend or two-faced to those who trust him and always made a real contribution to the happiness or the unhappiness of people wherever he went, which will be the case for you. You're going to be remembered in some way at your funeral. How will people remember you? He possessed or did not possess honesty, integrity, humility, sincerity, dependability. What about you? Or he knew the truth and tried, or sadly, he knew the truth and did not try to obey it. What will be said about you? He was, he was not an asset to the church, his family, and to God. We will... We will not. Which will it be? We will miss this man, or we won't miss him very much because he was or was not the type of person everybody loved. And then finally, he did or did not fight a good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. Henceforth, there either is or is not laid up for him a crown of righteousness. Obviously, quoting from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Which will it be? Now, again, I don't think that any preacher I know... Would be brash enough to use this form letter for a funeral. Now, maybe you could use this if if you took the positive answer to every one of the questions. If if the person lived such a life that you could that you could take the positive answer to each one of those questions, that'd be good. But if a person was not that way, if the person was doing the other. That wouldn't be very comforting. It wouldn't be. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, if a person hasn't lived for the Lord, a funeral is not a comforting thing, typically. Because there's just really no hope. For a person who's not served the Lord faithfully, there's just no hope. And that's what we think about when we think about funerals, you know. We want to die in hope. We want our, we want those who are left behind to have comfort and consolation when we're gone. But we're determined in that by the way we live right now. So we just end the lesson with an encouragement for you to think about your situation. You're going to your funeral. How will it be when you do? Have you obeyed the gospel? That simple plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you've never done that, we encourage you to make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, please come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. This was cleansing power in